You're listening to the Location Indie Podcast. Oh, we've got Mr. Beatbox over here. Welcome to the Location Indie Podcast, an unfiltered, behind-the-scenes, no-holds-barred look at the realities of the location independent lifestyle by two guys who are doing it. Only one of them is here this week. I am Jason Moore, co-founder of LocationIndie.com, and Travis is off. He's out traveling around Israel right now probably having the time of his life and I'm so happy for him because he left the computer behind. He left it all behind just to get out there and get away from it all. So man, Trav, I miss you, buddy. I don't want to spend the next 10 minutes talking about how much I miss you, but we'll be looking forward to having you back next week. Now I got to tell myself to start the timer. Jay, start the timer. I hate talking to myself in the third person. I've got an awesome interview for you today. We're breaking format a little bit because Travis is not here, obviously. And I did a two-part interview with a gentleman by the name of Brent Underwood. He is a world-class book marketer and publisher. You're going to hear all about book publishing today and some of his strategies, the strategies he shares. And I think everybody has a book in them. I mentioned that during the interview. It's a lot of people that I talk to in Location Indie and just in general want to write a book, want to publish a book. And Brent had an interesting story because he owns the number one rated hostel in the United States. He actually co-owns that with Matt Kepnes from nomadicmat.com. The name of that hostel, by the way, is HK Austin. It's in Austin, Texas. So first, I actually did an interview with him all around hosteling, what the hostel experience is like. And we focused entirely on hostels. So if you're interested in hearing that, you can check out my podcast, the Zero to Travel podcast, to hear the first part of this interview with Brent. But he's so knowledgeable about book publishing, I thought it would be appropriate. And he was so generous with his time. So I want to say thank you to Brent for sharing your advice and sharing your time here today. We spent about a little over 20 minutes talking about book marketing and publishing. And that's what I'm going to share with you here today on this show, you're going to listen in on our chat. We talk a little bit on hostels as well and how travel and business can actually fuel each other because Brent is straddling these two different worlds each day. You know, he owns a hostel, but then he's also in high-end book publishing and marketing. And it's it's an interesting <laughs> concept, I guess. This is all about work-life balance. And I think he's really going into those two worlds of budget travel and business. And that's why I wanted to share this interview with you, plus give you actionable tips on book marketing and publishing. Because again, I think everybody has something to say. And if you have ever debated about writing a book, there's never a good time to start. And I've been working on a book right now that's, uh, it's just, it's always such a messy process. And you think conceptually you have it dialed in and then you realize, man, I am... I'm totally losing it. It's it's kind of all over the place, but somehow it comes together at the end. I have uh, published one book on Amazon about international house sitting with my friends Nat and Jody, and that was a crazy process too, and I thought the second time around it might be a little bit easier, but no. 
it's not easier because of course, the more I work on the book, the more I want to add to it, the larger the project gets. And now it's just getting totally insane, maybe too much. So anyway, without further ado, let's slide into this interview with Brent Underwood. Again, if you want to hear the first part all about hostels, check out the Zero to Travel podcast. Enjoy this chat and I'll see you on the other side. I got some interesting stuff to share from inside LI, including some crazy flight deal we just heard about. So check back on that uh, at the end of this interview and chat with you then. My guest today has helped create and execute online marketing campaigns for over 20 New York Times bestselling authors, billion-dollar brands, venture-backed startups, and Grammy-winning musicians as a partner at Brass Check. And he's also a travel lover and founder of HK Austin. It's a hostel located in the heart of Austin, Texas. In 2015, HK Austin was the number one rated hostel in the United States. And we just finished talking over at the Zero to Travel podcast, all about hosteling, gave a ton of tips, and I'm excited to have him back to talk a little entrepreneurship and location independence, travel, and everything associated with that. Check out his work at brentunderwood.com, where he shares a collection of thoughts on marketing, entrepreneurship, and travel. Brent, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, glad to be here. Love to talk some more. Man, it's awesome to uh, have this opportunity because you have a ton of experience in book marketing. I know we covered a little bit of your career arc and I guess history and how you fell into this on the Zero to Travel podcast, but uh, I want to kind of dive into some of the actionable book stuff because you've launched, like I said in the intro, over 20 New York Times bestselling books on... Are you work on the marketing side? Yeah. So uh, our company is called Brass Check and we are kind of almost like a book production and advisory firm at this point. We've done everything from help people write proposals that sell you know, for a lot of money to traditional publishers to help them edit the books, uh, craft the messages in the books, and then you know, most often help market the books prior to launch. Yeah. And uh, just to name a couple, the authors, and you've worked with Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss. I would be remiss if I didn't mention him because uh, most people listening to this show have read The 4-Hour Workweek and are fans because he's kind of the OG in lifestyle design. So you've worked with Tim, and I thought that was worth mentioning. And my thought is that everybody has a book in them. And I know it's a dream for many people to publish a book. And I think travelers, even non-travelers, it's something they kick around. First of all, what makes a great book? Yeah, I think that, you know, what makes a great book is having something to say and not writing a book necessarily because you want to write a book, but writing a book because almost because you have to, you know, you have something that's so burning that you want to get out that you really want to take the time to to write a book. Because at the end of the day, uh, no matter what you do after the fact, the best marketing that you can ever do for a book is to write a great book, and you know right. that's gonna <laughs> that's that's just all there is to it. You know all the all the names that you mentioned before just wrote fantastic books, um, and that's going to carry the book through years later because uh, word of mouth, you know, and your buddy telling you you should check out this book is by far the best marketing there is, and that probably won't happen uh, without again just just writing a great book. But that there's a caveat there is, you know, a lot of times people have this vision uh, about writing a book of, you know, kind of going into a cave, spending a few years writing a book and coming out and presenting this masterpiece to everybody that everybody's going to love. Um, when, you know, there's a couple things, nobody's waiting for it really as the first run. This is just a harsh truth. Um, secondly, 
you know, it's very important while you're writing that book to keep in mind who are you writing this book for uh, and what problem is it solving for them? You know, I think that writing a book with no audience in mind is one of the worst ideas you can have. And then hoping that marketing afterwards will kind of, uh, you know, fix it. You know, you mentioned Tim a minute ago. And if you look at Tim's books, a lot of the chapters, almost every single chapter or section could stand alone as a blog post on a website, right? And so he knew he had his in his content in mind of like, you know, this section will resonate really well with this platform or this audience. And, you know, that way when the time comes to market it, it's not kind of an afterthought of how are we going to get this book out there? You know, that's been thought about from the very beginning. So as a self-publisher, the self-publishing movement's obviously on the rise and you don't have to be chosen by anybody to write a book, which is very exciting but I guess can also make for a lot of crappy books. <laughs> um, but from a marketing perspective, you mentioned kind of trying to be a little strategic about it. So marrying those two things, the burning desire and the quality work with the positioning and sort of some of the strategic thinking behind how you're going to actually implement, uh, create the book, implement it, implement the marketing. Uh, what are some of the steps that, you would recommend to a self-publisher who's looking to create a book in terms of uh, identifying an audience, research, what are some of the the best practices so they can set themselves up for success? Because I think ultimately, if you're going to take all this time and writing a book is a very difficult thing, uh, you know, you, you want to reach your audience, you want to be heard. And if you don't do the marketing properly, you're going to, you're not going to be able to serve as many people as you want. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, and, and going back to what I said before, you know, there's different if there's different goals for different authors, right? And so if you're, if the goal is mainly just to kind of like to write a book and to get the book out that you've always wanted, that's a goal in itself. So, you know, I'm not, I wasn't trying to diss it before for anybody that is like really, you know, it's as a self accomplishment to get a book out there. Um, but that being said, no matter who you are, I'm sure you want, everybody wants people to kind of respond and respect their work. And so there's lots of ways to do that. If, if, you know, the, the best way is if you aren't already to try to start building some type of platform. So that way you can know guaranteed that somebody's going to hear you when you come out, you know, if, today, if you're relying on, uh, you know, just somebody it's like the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. Nobody's really going to come. So, you know, uh, starting to create that platform now. So, you know, that these people are dedicated and interested in what you have to say. And then once you have that platform, you know, if that's your audience for your book, you can start testing material from the book as far as blog posts or just, you know, different types of content plays and see what's resonating with people. Um, you know, if you write a post that goes extremely viral within the community that you're try hoping to reach, you know, that there's something in there that you sh should certainly include in your book. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like an easy way to start, to start thinking about it. Hmm. And I mean, I think it's a lot easier to build a platform if you're giving away content, of course, quality content, so that those go well together. Within that thought, too, you know, a lot of times people are worried about giving away a lot of content, you know, particularly with traditionally published authors and publishers. There's this thought that, you know, if we give away too much of the content, nobody's going to buy the book. And that's just such an old school mentality that, you know, we've never found that the case. When we're working with authors, we try to give away as much of the content as far as wide as possible. Because um, nobody at the end of the day is like, well, you know, I compiled all the articles that you put out there. I think it's pretty much the book. I'm not going to buy the book. You know, the far bigger one is that, you know, I have no idea what this book's about. I have no, I have no taste for this book. Why should I spend, you know, 15 or $20 on it? So I think, you know, even when it comes time to market it, get that content out there as far and wide as possible, you know, allow people to kind of uh, 
interact with the ideas in the book and bring them back into the larger idea of the book. And that's by far the best way to kind of uh, start moving some copies. So what are the 20% of things in, in all these book launches that you've done that you've seen net that 80% of the results that you're looking for? Yeah, a lot of it, uh, like, as I was just talking about, I think content marketing is big. Uh, we've had a lot of success there because, you know, when you're, deve- so meaning taking content from the book, uh, developing into articles to be placed on different outlets around the web, uh, because that's kind of like, it's a, if they're evergreen, it's going to continue, continue to push traffic back to the book and sales to the book, you know, months or even years after that article goes live. And that's kind of like in opposition of, let's say, a live radio interview. That thing kind of like lives and dies during the moment that it's being aired. Um, podcast, you know, something that we're on now, we've seen a great return with like podcasts because similar, you know, they, they exist forever online. And, you know, even years later when people are kind of digging back into the topics surrounding the book, if you have a compelling podcast there, that'll continue to drive people. Um, and so I think that like, you know, all that's also playing into in your mind, your timeline, I don't think, you know, it's, it's very sexy now to have the, the launches, you know, the pre-launches. So week one to sell X number of copies. Um, and then a lot of authors forget about it from there. The reason they do that is because, you know, in a traditionally published book, they're trying to hit the New York times list. And so all pre-orders count towards the first week in sales. So if you want to give yourself by far the best shot of hitting, uh, you know, the wall street journalist or the New York times list, you want to front load all the orders, so that way, you know, it hits week one and you jump onto the list. But I think that the most authors should think about not just like one week of sales, not a burst, but like it's a marathon, you know, and trying to have the book, you know, still existing, still selling copies a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now. I think that, you know, some of the most successful books uh, sell more copies now than they did when they came out. Uh, I guess a good example is with Robert Greene, another author that we work with. He wrote a big book called The 48 Laws of Power. So when the 48 Laws of Power came out, uh, you know, it, it only sold a few hundred copies the first week. But again, it was such a good book that over time, a year out, two years out, it started hitting the bestseller list. And today, almost 10 years out, it's still selling more copies than it did probably the week of release. And so trying to position your book and your mentality for kind of the long haul and creating something that'll stand the test of time instead of something that, you know, might jump onto a bestseller list for a week, but then never be heard of again. I think that mentality is one that everybody should be kind of taking when they're going into writing a book. Hmm. You're taking the, the longevity approach, I suppose. And like you said, I mean, if you're leveraging other people's platforms with articles and content, that makes a lot of sense because those take time to get traction as well. So you've been straddling two worlds, <laughs> two yes. totally different worlds, right? Uh, book marketing and, you know, this, you know, really high end book marketing and, uh, and then you own a hostel, which is sort of like the budget travel world. What's, it, what's that like wearing those two hats every day? It's awesome. I, I love it. You know, the majority of my days I wake up and I'll spend more than half the day at, at my house actually. And I'll, I'll do book marketing. So, you know, I'm deep diving into books, pulling content, uh, communicating with the authors and the different things that we have going on. Then around lunchtime, I'll, I'll wander over to the hostel, kind of see what's going on there, make sure everything's kind of running smoothly. And it's fantastic because I think that, you know, having two projects like that, both of them help each other. When I'm thinking of ideas for the hostel, sometimes I'll get a great thought that will also apply to books that I hadn't been thinking about previously and vice versa. You know, when I'm thinking about bookmarking, I'm like, wow, that could also work really great for the hostel. And so it almost forces my mind into two territories that they might not go otherwise. 
And uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I think it's great. Well, I also love like, I don't know, I think there's a a mentality among some travelers in the budget travel hosteling arena, I suppose, where it's like, man, you're not doing it for real if you have some money in the bank or, <laughs> you know, you have a career or something. But more and more with the digital nomad movement and location independence, I feel like it's it's kind of becoming an accepted thing that you're going to go out there and see other people working while they're traveling. Do you find that that's definitely a trend on the uprise? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, everybody wants to extend their travels for as long as possible. So I think that, you know, slower traveling, uh, working while you're traveling intermixed with traveling, uh, all sorts of location independent businesses have popped up. People, you know, supporting themselves in a variety of different ways is definitely on the rise. And I've, I see it in the hostel, you know, I see it in my own life. And, um, yeah, I think that it's been, it's, it's great. Yeah, we talked about in the last interview, um, a lot about hostile culture <laughs> and everything like that. I do think this is a pivotal change because it's just empowering. We, you meant, we both talked about the four-hour work week and how that, that was a big book for us for the reassurance factor. And I think it's that idea of like, you can't, you don't have to just have travel and then everything else comes later, or whatever. You can kind of have, you can kind of have everything if you work towards it, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, setting yourself up to be able to not just travel in one burst, one month bursts, you know, that was a, that's a big thing, even more than the two weeks, typically people, you know, get for vacation. But if you can set up your life in a way that you're producing income, even while you're traveling, whether that's, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a straight passive income thing, it could be freelancing, um, writing articles, just doing a variety of things, then you'll be able to continue traveling even longer. And uh, yeah, just truly have both best of both worlds. Anything to extend your travels. Um, what are some of the, I guess, uh, modern publishing trends that you're seeing? Maybe some things that are coming up, you think, in the next one to three years that people should be on the lookout for. And it could be strategy, marketing strategy. It could be um, where where the book publishing market is going. Where do you see all this in three years? Yes. Yeah, so like, like you mentioned earlier, self-publishing is certainly on the rise. You know, self publishing, the quality is just getting so high. You know, even with Amazon CreateSpace, you can create such a high quality book as far as cover, interior, um, and that type of stuff. So I see self-publishing really rising. A really interesting company that has formed kind of recently, um, my old boss, Tucker Max, has a company called Book in a Box. And it's kind of, uh, they take six hours of a person's time. So their kind of mentality is that some of the most uh, knowledgeable and influential people within certain sh- subjects are the ones that have no time to write the books and then kind of vice versa. So they sit down with an entrepreneur, um, dictate a large amount of the book. They've hired professional writers from some of the biggest publishing houses out there to put together an outline of the book, send it back to the entrepreneur or influencer, um, you know, and then kind of go back to the writers again, fill it in, get a professionally book cover designed, um, and then lay out the interior and kind of push it out the door through the little publishing company that they have. And so then, you know, as for the entrepreneur, there's only a, a small amount of time commitment there. And then they end up with, you know, a very professional book in the matter of months. And I, I just see that, that, that trend continuing because, um, you know, books as a business card is a big concept right now where, you know, if, if you've written a book, you're establishing yourself as a thought leader within that space. Um, 
you know, that can be beneficial in a variety of ways, not just in book sales, but as far as, you know, speaking, career advancement, and a variety of things. So I think that, you know, self-publishing is certainly rising. The quality of self-publishing is certainly rising. Um, books are getting shorter. I've, we've seen that recently as well. I think the even traditionally published books, some of the more popular ones, you know, if you look at Seth Godin's books, I might just be like self-selecting because they're marketing books, but they're all very short and kind of these books where you feel like you can get through within a day. This is certainly on the nonfiction side, I think. But, you know, removing a lot of excess fluff, creating these books that are kind of manageable within a couple of days time frame. I've seen that kind of happening quite a bit recently. For self-publishing, um, do you have any, I, this might sound a little bit ahead of the curve, but uh, pricing and launch strategies? Sure. Yeah. I think that like, you know, the lowest price you can get it out there, the better, because there's a couple reasons there. One, you know, if you could drive a lot of people to it and you could drive a lot of Amazon reviews, Amazon reviews are, you know, social proof. So when you go to that page and you see, you know, 50, 100 reviews, that's extremely important. And that can be assisted by, you know, kind of pricing it low and then moving it from there. Um, but even within traditionally published books, you know, anytime you can get the publisher to, to, to kind of put the price down, you see a great increase in sales. And like I mentioned before, the best marketing by far is word of mouth, you know? So even if that's giving your book away for free, uh, I've seen authors give away 10,000 copies for free and then they'll just see steadily the sales of their book increase week over week if it's a good book. So, you know, anything that you need to do to get that book as far as wide as you can, as long as you believe in the content, um, is setting yourself up long-term. Can you get any writing done in the hostel? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately not anymore. So I, I, I have to, I have to do most of that at home because when I go over there, inevitably, um, you know, people have questions. And so ev- within every five minutes being there, there's a question about something. So I, I try to do all that at home and go over there when, uh, with the expectation that I'll be interrupted within every three to five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just visualizing your day. It sounds very enjoyable to me as somebody who does like to do sort of solitary creative pursuits, but then you have the social element too. I mean, you, you could be stuck at the laptop for several hours and you're like, okay, then you probably go from the most solitary environment to one of the most social environments around. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great balance. And then like, uh, it, it, it's also good because you can choose to be in either place. So when you're in a certain mentality, you can go to one and certain mentality, go to the other, um, and kind of get work done either way. And it, it also benefits too, because you know, you can learn something from anybody, whether that's, you know, a very well-known author or, you know, the backpacker that happens to be staying at the hostel that night. Everybody has a story to tell and everybody you can learn something from, uh, you know, if you dig deep enough. And so I just get to learn in a variety of ways from a variety of people, which is extremely uh, motivating, I guess. Two more questions for you. What is worth the pain? In... In life or in uh, sure. book? <laughs> in life. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, starting, starting a business, that, mm. <laughs> I don't know, that's, one that's, yeah. that's one that jumps to mind. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of pain involved, particularly early on. Um, you know, I made every mistake in the book, whether it was taking on partners that weren't quite right, going to business with friends, uh, just pursuing the wrong avenues. And it was certainly a painful process that you, know, you want to quit every, almost every single day. But I, for me, you know, just tracing it back to the hostel, just that image of, you know, sitting around and hanging out with travelers from all over the world is one that kind of got me through it. And it was certainly worthwhile, uh, in the end. 
So uh, I'm guessing that might be the answer to what's the best decision you've ever made. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think I have a different, I have a different answer for that. Actually, okay. the best decision I ever made, I think was blindly reaching out to Tucker on uh, Twitter because his introduction to Ryan has led to a variety of doors opening and led to me, you know, um, meeting my current business partner, nomadic Matt in the hostel and a variety of other ways. And so I guess like if there's anything to take away there is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy, Charlie Hone. Have you ever heard of Charlie yeah, before? Yeah, I have. <clears throat> so Charlie's book, uh, recession proof graduate and his kind of ideas about free work and, you know, reaching out to these pretty influential people and offering to work for free for a little bit in order to gain, uh, knowledge and not just ask them what you can do for free, but telling them what you could do for them for free. This is such a huge concept and I've seen it, you know, Charlie lives here in Austin. So I hang out with Charlie and I've seen it impact his, so his life so greatly and my own. And so I think anybody out there that's trying to think about, you know, how can I break into a new world or how can I kind of like forge these connections? I don't know anybody right now. It doesn't, you know, how do I even meet any of these people? I would definitely check out Charlie's book, recession proof grad. I think it's free. Um, and I've seen in my own life, that was one of the best decisions I ever did. Hmm. That's great advice. And, uh, yeah, it's cause it is scary a little bit in the beginning when you start reaching out to people you don't know and, I don't know, trying to develop that relationship. You just think, well, why would they get back to me? But obviously nothing happens if you don't try, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you never know what'll happen with an email and the worst they can do is just not respond or say no. So I would certainly, uh, yeah, just email any and everybody and hopefully you have a purpose for emailing them and uh, can relay that purpose and you never know what happens. Awesome. Well, if you're ever in Austin, Texas, got to check out the number one rated hostel there, HK Austin. And I'm now I'm dying to go down just to spend a night there at least. Uh, Austin's a great town anyway. And I've been thinking about the Texas heats and some up in Norway, a little bit chilly right now here in the winter. But um, as I mentioned before, Brent's also a partner at Brass Check. And uh, you can read about his work at brentunderwood.com. And Brent, I just really appreciate your time. You were so generous with it. And, uh, you know, all of the stuff we talked about on the Zero to Travel podcast, all around hostels, some great stuff there and some amazing stuff here on um, on book marketing and location independence. So just want to say thank you so very much. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for having me. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Cool, cool. Take care. Talk to you soon. Yep. Cheers. Brent, thanks again for stopping by the Location Indie podcast. Very cool of you to just share your time and your knowledge here with us. And let's talk about this flight deal I mentioned in the beginning of the show. There's some posts going around the Location Indie community. One was about a crazy inter-Asia fair right now on Air Asia. And maybe when you're listening to this, it could be over. Obviously, these are time sensitive. But needless to say, this is a great website to follow because... It seems to be on the rise. I've been hearing a lot of deals from this website and the website is secretflying.com. So right now I've been following the flight deal quite a bit and now I've just signed up for secretflying.com and this website seems to be pumping out some really great deals as well. I'm not sure if they are related. I don't think so. I haven't researched it (laughs) at all. So maybe I should have before I started rambling here to you. But uh, secretflying.com, pumping out some good deals. And some of these return flights, I guess, are only $4, which is insane. And another hot debate going on inside LI on one thread is all about Macs, Mac versus PC. 
What are you? Are you a Mac or a PC person? PC or Mac person? This is this is a hot debate. This thing gets heated, especially when you have diehard PC users who see the value and like obviously so much more inexpensive than Macs and Macs are way more costly. However, I have to say I am an Apple nerd. I fall on the Apple side of that debate and here's why. I'll give you my reason. It's just an overall more pleasurable experience. Maybe that's because I'm familiar with the operating system. Maybe it's the feel of the computer. I don't know what it is, but I just enjoy getting on it. It's always nice. And I spend so much time on the computer as somebody who's working and traveling. I have a laptop with me a lot most of the time. I want to open it up and I want to feel good about the environment I'm going into. And I just don't get the PC thing. I don't know why I used to have it. I I can't figure out. It seems like there's always some programs crashing or bugs to troubleshoot or I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just, I am a tech moron. I am a tech moron. That's for sure. <laughs> but I just have an overall better experience with it. So I guess I fall on the Mac side. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, PC folks. I know it's stupid. I know I probably spend too much time or thinking about it maybe when I'm buying or just spend too much money actually getting it. But that's whatever. It's just what I'm using. I don't know what to say. I'm done with that. I don't know what to say about it. Well, Travis, if you're listening to this, looking forward to having you back, my man. And I think pretty much time's up here, just falling short of 30 minutes. But I want to thank you for sharing this time here with me today. And yeah, we'll look forward to bringing you another edition next week. Until next time, keep on keeping on.